Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Missing in Nebraska, San Quentin Escape Artist, and The Missing Medford Millions. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And tonight, we have three stories about three people whose fate remains a question mark. The suspense is killing me. Yeah. Uh, Of course, uh, though, subsequently, we've gotten so many updates that for us, it's it's not a question mark. Um, I will start off with our segment concerning San Quentin. Wait, that's not what? the first segment, is it? It is? It's not? No, oh. I thought it was the uh, Christy Nichols, and then it's San Quentin. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, then <laughs> I can sort of, like, sit back in my chair and stare at the monitor for... Uh, 15 minutes yeah, we'll make sure to uh, make sure to add some clever commentary oh yeah no i i'll, I'll totally add commentary <laughs> but you know i the, the pressure is is not on me so oh, all right it's on me all right sorry about that listeners so our first segment is a missing segment um we start off in 1987 in gothenburg nebraska and uh the person who who has gone missing is uh one christy nickel who is a uh, devoted wife and mother of two children. I mean, she's not a wife of two children. She is a, a wife. With two children. With two children. Yes. Anyway, so she disappears <laughs> on December 11th, 1987. Um, we get a good interview with the mom. The mom says that Christy had had sort of a negative self-image until she started having kids. And before... Before anyone gets all their uh, feminist panties in a wad about a woman defining herself through motherhood, the way that the mom describes it, I think, is really sweet. And uh, she says, you know, Christy didn't feel like she could do anything right until she was a mother, and she knew she knew she could do that really well. So um, I thought that was a nice sentiment, you know, because who doesn't struggle with negative self-image? Uh. It's a day-for-day day effort. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so she's uh, Chrissy's married to this douchebag, Mark Nichols. Um, I guess they got married uh, when Christy was 19, so she was pretty young. Uh, so then we, so then we cut to Mark Nichols, and he's like, "All these people in town are talking shit about me, and I've heard all the rumors. Like I cut up my <laughs> wife with a saw I bought at Ace Hardware and put her body in the dump." And I'm like, that is specific. <laughs> yeah, it, it's strange. You're claiming to have nothing to do with. So, <laughs> all right. So then we get uh, we cut over to Officer Terry Aaron's, and he definitely thinks you know Christy's disappearance is foul play. Mark Nichols is saying that Christy left him for another man. Um, that she just packed up a suitcase in the middle of the night and taken off. Um, but a week before she, before Christy had disappeared, she ends up in the hospital uh, with an injury with to her thumb or a wrist or something, and and she was saying that Mark gave her the gave her the injury, um, but she was being kind of coy about it with Doctor Carol Shackleton uh, because Mark was actually waiting in the hall for Christy to to take her or take her back home so the story that we get from mark um it's a it's a load of shit that is reminiscent of do do you remember jewel kaler from the first episode well let me tell you throughout (laughs) this entire segment i was having numerous flashbacks yeah this this was like jewel kaler part two i think this guy was trying a little bit more oh yeah 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 i i mean you know he 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 tried to sound distressed it's just you know he he didn't convey any sort of emotion along those lines no and and a couple of times when they cut to him he was visibly moist from sweat 
<laughs> right, whereas Jewel just was... He was way stop. casual about having killed his wife. Anyway, I didn't say that. Um, so, so the story we get from, from, uh, Mark Nichols about what happened the night that Christy went to the hospital is that Christy had gotten hysterical and she put a cigarette out on Mark's neck or something. Um, this seems like pretty verifiable. Like Mark would have a scar or he would have had a bandaid on his neck or something when they went to the hospital. There's no mention of that. Uh, so Mark in self-defense had thrown Christy, um, onto the waterbed and she'd landed wrong. Hashtag 1987 injuries. And, um, so then everybody starts that knows Christy, everybody starts coming out of the woodwork. We've got cousin Deb, we've got doc- Dr. Carol Shackleton, we've got the babysitter, We've got um, everybody saying that Christy was, you know, trapped in an abusive relationship with Mark. Um, at some point, Christy had gone out of town to a divorce lawyer because she lived in a small town. She didn't want to be seen going to an in-town divorce lawyer um, and and admitted to the lawyer that there had been abuse at home. So the lawyer calls the police and they're getting prepared to file charges against Mark. Um, in the meantime... Uh, Mark and Christy end up going out for the evening and getting a babysitter for the kids. Uh, whose idea it was to go out for the evening remains a mystery. But I think that would be very insightful if we ever found out. Right. So uh, Mark and Christy, they go to a local bar. They play some pool. Um, then they go to a convenience store. Uh, Mark's story is that they returned home uh, and that Christy had walked through the living room right past the babysitter. The babysitter claimed she never heard or saw Christy come home um, and that Mark paid the babysitter with a check and it was Christy who usually paid the babysitter with cash. So all of this is very fishy. Um, and then the story that we get the next morning is that Mark woke up. Christy had taken off with a suitcase um, Mark said he, he, he then dropped their two kids off with, with Christie's grandmother, I believe. Yes. Um, and Christie's grandma thought that was strange because usually Christy or Mark would call before dropping the kids off. So it seemed very rushed. Um, and then Mark said he spent the next couple of hours driving around t- town trying to find Christy and, um, no one saw him do that in town. And I imagine Gothenburg... Nebraska is probably not a very large metropolis. And, and it's probably pretty centrally condensed, too. It, yeah. it, like, it has one of those main streets you see mm-hmm. earlier in the segment. So, yeah, like it should not take long. Yeah. Um, I, I want to focus on, for a moment on the name Gothenburg, because it's like <laughs> if you named your town Cityville. Metropolis <laughs> <laughs> just... Village. Yeah, or... Um, town place <laughs> town place nebraska i don't know it's, it's it seems it was just kind of a in, in new light york of, city creek yeah uh, in in light of how sort of disturbing this all is that kind of gave me a chuckle um so anyway mark says he's looking for christy well then fast forward and we're, we're talking to the cops now christy's been gone for several months Uh, They go to investigate the house that Mark and Christy lived at. They find out that Mark has moved out the day after Christy disappeared. Um, Basically sticking grandma with the kids, I guess. Um, What were some other things? Oh! Are you going to talk about the clothes? Uh, Yeah, so... (laughs) As as one of the detectives correctly uh, points out, they ask Mark what Christy had taken with her in the suitcase and Mark was able to recall with like total clarity what was missing from the closet (laughs) therefore it must have gone in the suitcase and then several months later the suitcase is found at an area rest stop off the highway containing exactly what Mark had described coincidence I think not this is is like the smoking gun I, I, I mean it you know, the, 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 the detective is spot on 100%. 
no guy is going to be able to to discern what clothes are missing out of his girlfriend's or, or wife's closet. No, and especially not if the the man is supposedly under distress because his wife just left him. Right, right. I mean, God, uh, yeah this this is this is case closed right here. This detective has. <laughs> well, he's the detective is probably right, but the problem is, um, we don't. That stereotypes about uh, well, gender differences are not admissible in the court of law. Yeah, I mean that's the the thing is that there's no update. We don't get an update. Yeah, the, the, I was that's... like, I was like, come on, big money update, and then we didn't get one. They never pressed charges against Mark. Apparently, they never found Christie's body. I even went and did my own investigation. <laughs> And um, I was looking, you know, what ha- what happened to Christy Nickel, and there's nothing. Wow. So I don't know. I don't know if Mark Nichols even still alive, but um, uh, you know, it it would have made sense at least if he'd fled town. I can't imagine he'd could have stuck around a small town like that, considering at the time the show was filmed, the rumors were flying. So, um, so that's the, that's the story of Christy Nickel. It's, uh, yeah, you know, the, the lack of update at the end is probably the biggest downer of all this. Because this is, I mean, do you think that Mark moved to the same community that, community that Jewel moved to? Oh, didn't, he, didn't Jewel move to Colorado or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, do you think there's just a town in Colorado for for guys that may have killed their wives looking to start over i believe that there are numerous towns across the united states where people with similar unsolved mystery stories uh have gathered together but uh, yeah i mean uh, so so it's so frustrating that this is this is one where clearly everyone knows what the real deal is and it's yeah just, but all the I feel like people have been prosecuted for murder on less evidence than this. Yeah. But there's no body, there's no murder weapon, there's no physical evidence presumably in Mark's car. There's no there's other than the violence that we already knew was going on, there's no evidence of like struggle in their house. There's no you know, there's no who knows what he did. Right, exactly. I mean, something in between going out and playing pool and then um, a- allegedly arriving back to- at the house with his wife, which, I mean, you know, clearly, like, as soon as that front door opens, any babysitter in the living room is going to, sh- you know, turn right to it and see whoever's coming in. This this was, uh, I, I, uh, I mean, the... The flimsiness of like him being like, oh, she came, walked in, and you know, went up the stairs be- without even being seen. Come on. Yeah, it's. Oh, and then there's. Oh, I forgot the bit where um, Christie's mom calls like at eight thirty in the morning. Oh yes. Yeah, and Mark answers the phone, and he says that Christie's still sleeping. But at that point, he would have discovered that she was gone. Why would he? And then Mark's excuse why he didn't mention it to the mothers because he didn't want to worry the mother. So, I. There's just one last missing piece that if only we. I, I guess, I, I guess you, you hit the nail on the head. We would really have the best insight if we knew whose idea it was to go out. Because if it was Mark's idea to go out, we could assume that he had something planned, you know. Yeah. If it was her idea, then I could kind of see that he did something impromptu. Uh, wasn't that something he had immediately planned on? And thus comes home, has to give a bullshit saying that his wife went upstairs, you know, Gets a phone call the next morning. Doesn't have his story quite straight. Um, you know, I, I, I know. To me, it kind of feels like it was like, you know, he did something totally like so. He had some rage explosion, and 
Um, I don't know. Maybe she told him like she was leaving him or something. Uh, you know, just something and like murdered her and <clears throat> is just scrambling to put together his alibi. Well, I've, I've, it's really only the difference between first and second degree murder and just barely at that. So um, the other side of that coin is that the lawyer and Christy were going to press charges against Mark like the next week, but she disappeared before she could give a police statement. Ah, yes, yes. So I don't know that Mark could have possibly have known about that, but maybe I, he knew the writing was on the wall and his time was up and he couldn't, he couldn't suffer the humiliation of being abandoned and yeah. having his kids taken away. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, how many stacks are we going to give this reenactment? Uh, you know, there really wasn't much in the reenactment that really grabbed me. I, 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 I give it two. Um, I really enjoyed the detective. The detective was the best part. Uh... But other than that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it's creepy. It's real. It's a spooky story because presumably this guy, Mark Nichols is just still walking around free. But, um, as far as the merits of the reenactment, I think I have to give it to as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, uh, Mark Nichols tried to write a book about, you know, his, his effort to find the, the real killer? <laughs> um, and what did he, uh, and he called it if, if I, <laughs> If I did it. <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, when I was looking him up, I didn't see, and I don't think that guy could author an uh, email, he let alone an entire the book. the most so. articulate person, no. No. So. Yeah. Anyway. Well, moving on to a different sort of murderer. Um... We have Mark Adams, who was a man who managed to escape from San Quentin. But no one can escape from San Quentin prison. It's impossible. It's extremely except locked for, down. Except for all the different ways they list where you could possibly escape San Quentin prison. One of those ways providing somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 separate opportunities per day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, it seems uh, like it'd actually be pretty easy to get in and out of San Quentin if you wanted to. <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing. Um, one of my friends in uh, real life, or Civil War reenacting, so maybe that's not real life, um, they were a prison guard at San Quentin. Oh, really? Yeah. Served, served uh, Manson breakfast. Charles Charles Manson. Oh, what uh, like every day? I don't know about that. I mean, like they never went too deep into those stories. I mean, it was mostly just sort of a referential uh mm -hmm. blurb. But yeah, um Yeah, I mean, can we talk about all the prisoner star fucking that goes on at the beginning of the segment where they list every possible famous person that has been in San Quentin? I well well yes uh, please do I'm particularly I didn't I didn't research this but when I heard Black Bart uh -huh. I guess I should have realized that really was a real person I and not just a, think it was a fictional pirate? villain in a Christmas story. Oh, is that what it is? I thought it was a pirate, so I was way confused. I think you're thinking of Black Beard. But also, uh, but also Black Bart was a pirate. Black Oh, I, no. who knows? He could have been. I mean, I I'm assuming. He... So I don't want to be a pirate. In prison. So yeah, we could... still happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. But it's like I don't, I don't think you get like cool pirate names. Though <laughs> so I think you know, it's just people on speedboats off the shores of Somalia yeah. or in Straits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I stepped all over your. No, no. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to uh, mention the other? Uh, I I didn't write it down, but Black Bart was one of them. I think they had uh, Al Capone. I want to say because it was a federal prison. Um, yeah, Charles I didn't Manson. Write down, I didn't write down the other people too. I mostly was just so like 
amazed when Black Bart got mentioned. I just I just pictured that kid from a Christmas story, Ralph you know, Ralphie coming in with his cowboy outfit and this red rider pump action BB gun. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Yeah. So anyway, you've been listening to a Christmas story podcast. <laughs> um we, which but, by the way Side note, we should probably do. Yeah, shucks. Um, can we do a full, like, 200 episodes out of a single movie? No, uh, I just meant, like, a, for the holidays. Not, oh, okay. Not, like, every day. But there is there is a podcast, I think it's called, like, The Worst Idea Ever. And a, a couple of brothers, maybe their friend, get together once a year and do a podcast, and they watch uh, Paul Blart 2. <laughs> and every okay. year they do this, and then they do a podcast about it. That uh, That's a pretty strong contender for worst idea. I, I won't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it's called. Anyway, there's also another better podcast about life in San Quentin prison that I've been listening to myself. Oh my god! Um, and it just came out. It's brand new. They're still releasing new episodes, and I can't remember what it's called. But it's like it's one of these uh, NPR type shows, like with real. Pro- no, it's got like real production. But it's not like the dog and pony show we're doing over here. But oh. they're um, they're doing different episodes about what life is like in prison. So they did one on like, and it, and all the prisoners they're interviewing are in San Quentin. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, called it's called Ear Hustle. Turn this off. Go listen to that one and learn a lot about life on the inside of San Quentin Prison. And then come back and listen to the rest of this one. But before coming back, be sure to leave uh be sure to tweet or leave some sort of social media imprint on the uh other podcast social presence mentioning that we sent them there. Sent you there. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we've uh, we've reveled in the glories of San Quentin long enough. I guess we might as well get to the actual unsolved mystery part. Yeah. Um, Wait, are you going to talk about the reenactment at the very beginning of this segment? In the, in the dugout in Modesto? How could I not be talking okay. about that? That is like... I'll, le- I'll leave you to it. That is at least 50% of the coolness of this. Yeah. Um, our... Our culprit is a guy named Mark Adams, and he was involved in an incident in the summer of 1979 where three high schoolers apparently snuck onto a, you know, either a high school baseball field or just a municipal sort of baseball field uh, uh, to go drinking in the dugout. Um, this, this kind of seems like, you know... If you're living in a small rural town, this is probably a pretty popular place to engage in that sort of activity. Uh, I noticed right away that they're carrying one of those cheap plastic coolers you buy for a couple of dollars at the store. Um, I guess that would probably make sense, right? Because they can't, if they tried to grab one of their families, that would raise questions. Um, And so, you know, they're, they're in there hanging out. Uh, talking about high school stuff, I guess. Um, and then, like, three figures in ski masks come approaching them, heavily armed with at least semi-automatic rep weapons. Um, yeah, the, these are, like, full-on assault rifles. These aren't just handguns that you would use in a normal mugging. This was, like... <laughs> right, and... and these are guys who apparently had been involved in several incidents in the preceding weeks. I'm not sure. I At first, when I first watched the segment, I thought they were maybe involved in, like, home robberies. But I'm getting an idea that these guys are just going around mugging people with, like, assault rifles and ski masks on. Uh, you'd think that, like, in whatever community they were in, after, you know, the second incident, the entire community is going to be on like lockdown or something, but you know, these guys just like just casually walk up and, you know, demand all the, all their wallets, money from their wallets. And this is probably what stuck out to me more than anything was that 
the guy who looks like the captain of the high school football team says, why don't you guys just leave us alone? And then, and then open fire with the assault rifle. Well, no, not not quite. The, these guys. Oh, yeah, they wander off. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Mark Adams or uh, sort of gives this slight head nod, uh-huh. like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it conveys this sense of yeah. Why don't we just leave you alone? And they turn around and start walking away. But then he dramatically turns around and blasts the, these guys. This was this was so, so strange because it was like. I mean, if I was in a situation where I was in a high school dugout drinking beers with two of my friends and three guys in ski masks come up with assault rifles and demand I hand over my wallet, I'm not sure precisely what my reaction would have been, but it certainly wouldn't have been like this rhetorical question of why don't you just leave us alone? Maybe the, since this guy was the captain of the high school football team, he just was used I, to being able to... Maybe, but I feel like the, the this is just a bad reenactment, maybe. Because when, if you see someone coming at you with, like, an assault rifle, are you going to be like, Hey, man, why don't you just leave us alone? We're trying to have a good time over here. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to be like that? No, you're going to be shitting yourself. So I don't really think the reenactment was yeah. very accurate. Either either Mark wasn't holding the gun at the time, or that's not what those guys said. Right, right. Or, or both. Well, uh, regardless of how true to life this reenactment was, um, Mark Adams did kill one of the trio and wound at least one of the others. So he was uh, sentenced to 25 years to life. Yep. Sent to San Quentin... And it's a story that I think we've feels like we've seen at least a couple of times already where, you know, he 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 puts on that sort of model prisoner behavior, um, starts to get jobs in the prison working with computers. And it's from there they kind of conjecture that he used this access to check the time and schedules of everything going on in the prisons, because four years later. Um, so, uh, he actually escapes. He show he gets an authorized pass to go to the dentist, shows it to his boss, uh, who seems to be a non-prisoner guy supervising this, what, accounting firm that's housed inside the prison? I don't know. There was computers. There's a dentist. There's... There's a machine shop. I mean, so much is going on at San Quentin. I never knew. Yeah, it's it, it it's very strange. And the reenactment uh, at this point really stuck out to me too, because as he's walking out of the uh, the main office area with his pass, you can notice that the other inmates are like tracking him with their either their eyes or their head. Mm-hmm. And I swear, like as soon as I saw that, I, I just pictured each one of those inmates thinking thinking that, like, they can see this guy's going to escape. I mean, they can just sense something, you know? Mm. Uh, but, yeah, so he, act- he, he he leaves. He shows his pass a little bit later outside of the building. That's the last anyone sees of him. Um, and so they, you know, they give three conjecture, you know, ideas about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um. One is that he somehow got a hold of civilian clothing and replicated an ID and snuck out amongst a group of visitors, uh, which is kind of like was unsettling to me. The idea that like, who are these people that are just like, you know, they're in the prison, maybe visiting a loved one or whatnot. And a prisoner just wearing normal clothes just walks in right with them. I'm but sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, listeners. It's so hot in my apartment. I'm, I'm barely <laughs> functioning right now. Yes, you might be saying to yourself, but it's November. Why are you so hot? And that is because hell uh, has escaped uh, crevice um, via Los Angeles. And it is so hot right now, you guys. I'm delirious. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had to... I had to, I had to 
take a couple of extra blankets out this morning. I know it was. I was up in Northern California earlier this week, and I could. I was out late, and I could actually see my breath. Like that's how cold <laughs> it was. And then I came back down here, and it was just like. It's it's probably punishment for for being a you know making fun of all these people who have suffered horrible tragedies. Yeah, it's well <laughs> that's that would be personal to me, but like it's probably because we're a sanctuary city or something and <laughs> uh, I don't uh, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've you've been listening to Crystal slowly descend in, in, <laughs> into in, in being incapacitated yeah by well we better we better get through this segment before i okay. built into a puddle so, on the floor. so yeah yeah um the other possibilities are he could have scaled the wall yeah uh, which i never even would occur to me because it seems like that's just like the the most likely way to get caught and i mean they do mention three people tried it right after he he disappeared and mm-hmm. they were all caught but like you know apparently there's enough shit hanging on the side of this wall that you know, someone who could could apparently scale it in just seconds. Yeah, if you had a like an Assassin's Creed type. <laughs> well, yeah, person. yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly, I, I, I couldn't. I, you know, I. No, I, I... no, I can't even do a pull up. I'm not breaking out of prison. Um, but what I enjoyed about this part of the segment is the overly technical way that the warden explained uh, climbing a wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes um, and he he the way that he explained it was something like if you have the prison prison personnel and they're sufficiently distracted and in that time frame one could I don't know he was just using a lot of jargon oh, oh, for oh, yeah no, he, was, he was trying to be very precise like laying out that like this is something that can be done. Not necessarily that it's easy to be done, because you know, as he mentions, three people or Robert Stack mentioned, three people tried it immediately. You know, within like a few weeks afterwards, and they all got caught. But if you if you have the right luck and apparently you know are are ready to like do gymnastics, you can you can totally scale the wall. I'm sure it involves a lot of parkour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you saw the way, way he was jumping up uh, ar- yeah. around. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, to me, like, why do they have all that shit hanging on the walls? I guess there's some things you just can't, like, you know, do without. But can't they put them in the walls, outside the... I... Well, it's it's better game design if you have things to climb onto and escape from San Quentin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> right, so in the San Quentin level of Assassin's Creed, yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. If you if you don't have anything to grab or hang on to, it, yeah, it, it, it's like it's, dumpster, train pipe, run a run along the roof, <laughs> dive into the garbage truck, and then you've made your escape from San Quentin. Well, and the that that the third attempt, uh, method possible method of escape, which is that he just stole away on a vehicle. Yeah. Which to me seems like usually the most stereotypical like movie television prison escape method, you know, dump yourself in the laundry and mm-hmm. <laughs> get carted out. Um, but as they mentioned, like, you know, there's like two, there were 225 service vehicles coming mm-hmm. in. There's a lot. There's a lot of traffic coming in and out of the prison every day. Yeah, I mean that that does seem like that would provide like at some point you know th- there's going to be an opportunity that presents itself. Um, so yeah, he disappears without a trace. Now, uh, did you catch the name of the warden? I I didn't write it down. In I my didn't. Notes. I didn't get okay. it. Because you know I don't want to. I. You know, this guy is obviously very serious about this job. I mean, as we saw from his excessively detailed, you know, set of criteria on how to jump the walls. But the thing was, was when they show him, his choice of wearing a white suit, unfortunately, every time I saw him on screen, he looked, he looked to me to be more like some sort of hispanic televangelist i mean <laughs> that's what he looked like i don't want to 
I'm not saying that that you know that that you know his character is that way, but that's what he looks like. I bet his I bet his wife told him not to wear it, and he did it anyway. <laughs> Just to spite her. Yeah. Bitch. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, Mark Adams disappeared. They have a neat little thing where they show some people cleaning out, you know, his cell. And obviously, I think that, you know, this is also a reenactment. And I found it strange that he had, like, a television in his cell. I mean, isn't that, like, contraband or something? Or um, maybe, maybe if you, or maybe if you, maybe that's a privilege you can yeah, earn. Yeah, he, he sounds like in the time, Mark Adams in the time that he was at San Quentin had... Uh, kind of had the run of the place. I mean, he had a lot of freedom to move around the prison. He had a lot of privileges. I mean, they did say he was a model prisoner. So yeah, that doesn't man, surprise like, me too much. All, all in the run up to like escaping, he's just wandering around. Like he just flashes that paper, and people are like, "Oh, yeah." Um. Uh. And so, yeah, we're left with uh this question about where is he? How did he get out? And we get an update. Um, seven years after uh, this segment aired, he was captured in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was obvious Unsolved Mysteries didn't have anything to do with this uh, particular apprehension because they really don't. Yeah, you know, they just give a couple of uh, screens of text. Yeah, uh, he was killed a year later in a fight with a a, a prisoner. Um, and he never revealed how he escaped. Uh, so it all kind of remains an unsolved mystery, doesn't it? Yeah, I talked with my my prison guard friend, mm-hmm. and she. Uh, Ooh, it's a lady. Yes, yes. Um, uh, tough as nails, too. Yeah, uh, I didn't see that coming. I got to be honest, so I got to check myself. Right, right. But please continue. Gosh, Crystal, get woke. I'm, woke. I'm sorry. I just, it's a ma- it's a men's prison. I didn't think they would have a female guard. But what do I know? It's it's, it, it, it's clearly an indicator of how disoriented you are from the heat when I'm the one who's like going social social justice yeah, on you. I do. I need to get with the times. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. She's. Um. I I asked her about about this segment actually sort of in the preparation for the segment oh yeah yeah she didn't recall this this particular guy escape and, you know maybe she wasn't there at that time because we didn't discuss too much of the details but she did say that like i think i think she does did vaguely remember it or know of it because she's saying that like afterwards a lot of things changed. Like they started, um, I guess before a lot of those vehicles going out, were carrying laundry to go to get professionally clean somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's when they switched to having the in prison laundry system. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, I guess, you know, speculation is maybe the speculation on our part was he, he, he took one of the vehicles going out was his, his method of escape. I think that's probably the, the, uh, is this now the term? Now the right time? Time? Yeah, yeah. Is now the, the right, right time, time to, to use the word parsimonious. <laughs> is that the correct usage of that word? I think that's the most parsimonious explanation of what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly. That's it, not right. I know that's not the right word. No, no. Parsimonious is the, 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 the most simplest explanation, right? Well, it's it's doesn't parsimonious oh. mean to be economical with something? Oh man, you're right. Good thing Doctor O doesn't listen to this podcast. What if he does? We have a lot of plays on this thing, man. People are listening to this shit. I've been looking at the data on. on I mean, sound- I don't mean to like humble brag right in the middle of a segment, but it's <laughs> oh surprising no, we're gonna to totally me. humble brag. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know. And it's, and it's nobody I know because I was just seeing my friends in Sacramento and they're like, oh, yeah, you're doing that. And I'm like, OK, well, I guess you're not listening to it. Then who is <laughs> the people that you were concerned, you know, would be disappointed if we didn't get this off the ground. Yeah, I'm now I'm just worried about disappointing strangers, I guess. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's entirely po- we we have actual human beings listening to the podcast well so. it's possible that they're just russian bots in a troll farm 
driving up our SoundCloud and iTunes plays. Okay, I... Um, this is all part of Putin's propaganda machine, man. I'm, he's, I'm play, trying... he's playing 4D chess. Like, we don't even know. We don't even know what his plan is. Oh, God, I hate hearing 4D chess. Uh, don't you, though? I do. I, I hate <laughs> it when people are like, oh, I played 4D chess. You know, uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll give you a four chest, four D's chest. Anyway, can we move on <laughs> <laughs> to, to our uh, stack rating for this segment? Uh, I give it three and a half. I thought, Most... it, was, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it four. Ooh, a solid four. I'm gonna give it a solid four based on the fact that the actor that they chose to play Mark Adams was very attractive. Oh, he was. Yeah, so you get a little you get a little prisoner sex appeal. And if <laughs> and if you are one of these uh, alleged listeners we have and you've been listening to the show and you've plowed through episodes 1 through 6 um you probably are going to find that we're going to be this next segment is we're going to be running into some old friends. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Cause I, I was, I was tempted to go back to episode six of unsolved mysteries, but also our podcast, but, and to see if in fact some, some of the key players were the same people. Oh, Crystal, I totally did that. Yay! Yes. So we have <laughs> another... Minds, <laughs> we have another... Another Medford racketeering story. You, the poor... you didn't think there'd be enough room in Medford, Oregon for all these swindlers. You'd be wrong. <laughs> I, I... I... I'm just astounded. Um... It, it, the the poor people of this community are, are just getting like fleeced like crazy. I know. Um, first Dennis Walker with his uh, routine, and now uh, we have a guy named Stephen Cox, who uh, was not a political scientist, but w- was likewise a guy who just randomly started some sort of investing company. Um, and and he was offering very high rates of return, much in the fashion of uh, Dennis Walker. I think they were ex- actually the exact same rate, twenty five percent. Is that what we have to do, Crystal? Do we just have to start an investment company and just offer twenty five percent rate of investment? You know, I th- I think after uh, May- Bernie Madoff, I don't think anybody's taking the bait anymore. Uh, you, but you if we had hit the if we had hit this like. Prime time, like nineteen eighty nine through like ninety nine, we we could have we could have bought uh, one of the islands of the Bahamas by now, probably. Damn, we missed our window of opportunity. Yeah, I think people got a little smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, amongst Stephen Cox, and he also he ended up with a uh, partner in this this crime, Eugene Richmond. Although Eugene. Uh, tries to play it as if he was to some degree not as criminally involved um but together they they took people like and they mentioned some people with you know heartbreaking stories widows people who uh get in horrible car accidents and you know they get insurance money and and these guys just swoop in and convince them to just hand all hand over all the money to them. Um, can I can I for a moment share what I think the real life Stephen Cox looks like based on his photos? <laughs> yeah, please do. He looks like um, Pennywise the clown from <laughs> It without his makeup on. Well, I'm surprised that wasn't one of the because uh, at the end of the, the this segment they show they have a little. A graph where they show different looks of how he could look like uh-huh. uh, different hair. They should I'm have surprised. slipped a clown in there. I, yeah, I'm surprised. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if he did become a clown? I mean, how would he recognize him if he didn't have that to really, you know, that that image to really compare and contrast with? Um, well, 
while he may not have been dressed up as a clown, apparently his investment decisions were apparently made by a clown because even though he had some initial success, um, he ended up uh, making a lot of bad investments. And this is actually one of the more interesting things where uh, we, we once again meet Michael Sweeney with a sergeant and the Medford PD. It was, it's the same detective, right? It's the same detective. Oh, thank goodness. I, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah, I, I, he has, and it's the exact same office. He has the same stuff behind his, <laughs> behind him on the wall. Um, but uh, Sweeney actually has the conjecture that, uh, unlike Dennis Walker, who was almost certainly just scamming right from the beginning, that Stephen Cox may have started out with, you know, at least the intention of you know running an actual investment company and making his clients money and you know they mentioned like initially he had some successes but obviously he was weighing over his head um you know uh made some a lot of bad decisions and you know they they have this great reenactment of him just being stressed out at his desk you know on the phone you know, looking at his computer, things are obviously aren't going well, um, and so he cl- he just he decides like he's buried himself so badly he just decides to bolt, and he he gets his wife and his partner Eugene Richmond invo- uh, uh, involved with this bolting. What's your take on Eugene Richmond? Do you think he started out with you know, the intent of being a relatively honest investor type guy, or is he just pure criminal through and through? Um, I think he thinks he's a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You know, it definitely, he, he reminds me of Matt Damon's character from the informant. (laughs) <laughs> yeah a so, little bit yeah yeah you know he's like he's pretty yeah. he's pretty spineless this guy I, I think he i think in the end he he attempts to do the right thing but i mean he was basically the henchman swindling widows out of their very last cent to keep the whole operation going so no he's not a good guy you know but well he insists that he told these people that there was risk involved with these investments to which um I love how incredulous, like, they talk with one of the uh, uh, widows that, that he swindled, and, and apparently they mentioned this this to her, and she's like, well, then, Eugene Richmond is a liar, then, because he never did. And uh, Eugene gives, you know, a fairly ambiguous response, like, you know, like, well, either, if, if, if they, she doesn't remember, then either I failed to tell her, or like a lot of people, they didn't want to hear it. Um, but yeah, so he gets roped into this impromptu, uh, you know, jumping off the Titanic uh, escape. Um, he actually is the one who gives a speech to all the staff at this investment place. Like, hey, uh, your boss and I are going to be gone for, you know, a week. But, you know, just just keep doing stuff and we'll be back. We're on a business trip or something. Uh and while I, you know, it's funny the way they shoot the reenactment. I don't think is this is necessarily how they meant for it to come across, but it kind of feels like they show Eugene talking to the staff, and then like it cuts to Stephen emptying out the safe of all like the gold and silver and financial records and stuff. And I felt like the reenactment, like it almost felt like they were implying that Eugene was like distracting the employees while Steven was in the back room, (laughs) stumping everything into this bag. Um, So Steven, Steven and his wife, they empty the house, pack stuff up in a moving van and the three of them bolt out of there. It's, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the, wasn't for the fact that it just ripped off hundreds of people to the sum of millions of dollars. Um, uh, it would actually kind of, it, it felt like it had the, the makings of a pretty good, like 
campy people on the run road trip movie. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad you you had that feeling too. Uh, well, well, and and you think they're never to be seen again. No, but you know like the wife returns uh back to town. Um and it's interesting unsolved mysteries really doesn't cover exactly why that uh happens at least with her. I, I don't think. No, they don't. But I think she, they said she was a person of interest. They didn't think she was criminally liable for anything. But right. they definitely had wanted to talk to her. So she yeah, talks I'm, to the police a little bit, at least, I think. And I guess Eugene probably, like, gets the feeling that, like, after he, probably hanging out with Steven, like, after the wife leaves, he probably, you know, in that same sort of spineless thing is like... Well, you know, you have to imagine it's it's uh, Eugene and Stephen Cox just sitting around in some condo in Hawaii. And that's got to be pretty awkward with the wife gone. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. They, uh, and plus, you know, with her gone, you know, I'm sure Eugene's mind was just racing at the possibilities of like her going back to Medford ratting them out getting total immunity and he's like oh my god i gotta get back there too yeah and still sell steven out as much as i can to try to cover my own skin and it's funny like he returns uh to do this but then doesn't actually give any useful information no it's it it was all um his lawyer was present in the uh meeting room or the interview room Right, right, because yeah. he didn't want to incriminate himself, so he couldn't say anything that would actually help law enforcement. Um, well, and then, fat lot of good it did uh, did Eugene. Yeah, yeah, he spent what two years? Two yeah. years. Which I don't know. Actually, that's the well. We'll cover this in the at the end, but this that's the same amount of time that Stephen Cox actually served out of his sentence. Um. Yeah, so they give that awesome likeness projection, and then we get an update. And just like Dennis Walker, yet another Medford, Oregon racketeer was captured in Nevada. Um, this time at Lake Mead. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, checked into the Lake Mead Lodge under the name of John Strauss. Uh, immediately started acting suspicious, you know, dumping his garbage up off you know someone into someone else's bin uh only leaving at night um uh, and- but we we get all of this firsthand from the woman who uh, co-owns the motel with her husband and and is- you know her her uh her hackles were up about this guy from the word go like she started sniffing around in the trash and I guess his registration card on the, uh, <laughs> you see millennials, when you checked into a hotel <laughs> and you didn't have a credit card, which was often the case many years ago, you would leave your uh, driver's license and you'd also leave your license plate number of your car. Um, but she noticed that the, uh, the registration card didn't match the license plate of, of John, Str- John Strauss, John Strauss's. Yeah vehicle you've been listening to millennial catch-up uh, <laughs> yeah i yeah no uh th- there was just all sorts of stuff both just in the paperwork and in his behavior and then the the, the final uh the final twist is that w- once the unsolved mystery segment airs um she finds a letter uh in which i i don't recall was it a letter eugene wrote to Stephen or vice versa but it, I think it was a letter Stephen had written and then crumpled up, but it mentioned the the Unsolved Mysteries show. As a bombshell. Yeah. Um, and so th- this is finally what gets, uh, probably gets Mrs. Reed to be able to convince her husband to finally call the police. The uh, park rangers arrive, but apparently, like about 15 minutes too late but it's fine because the very next day steven gets pulled over near the gold strike casino and in the process of uh you know processing you know him there they open up the trunk 
and find jewelry and necklaces, coins, cash, and baseball cards. And it's funny because that reference to baseball cards makes me wonder whether Stephen Cox may have like crossed paths with Dennis Walker. I know. <laughs> you I, have- I just the like the cases are too similar. <laughs> They're too similar. And I also have to question the producers for airing. There's a, like a one episode break. Between the Dennis Walker case and then this one. There's been one. <laughs> so, ah, this is a very strange editing choice anyway. but Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Stephen Cox gets brought to justice. He serves two years out of a 20-year sentence, um, which I guess is kind of like justice. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like this segment. I liked it a lot. Um we got to revisit the town of Medford, Oregon. Yep. Uh, we got to see so, uh, we got to see um, Sergeant Michael again. You know, I, I I'd be kind of cool if we saw him a couple more times. He seems like a pretty, uh, pretty pretty okay guy. Um, we once again the the story involves racketeering, and once again once again sports memorabilia makes a, an appearance. Uh, the only thing left is for me to make a another restaurant. Um, yeah, where... um, what's the other restaurant in Medford that you enjoy? Okay, in the previous uh, restaurant story, I mentioned how I had to like have my car towed to Medford to take to the dealership to get worked on. Yes. In this one, I had to get a ride to Medford to pick up my car after it was done. And so I treated this was a coworker who did this for me. So I treated him to lunch mm-hmm. and we went to the India Palace uh, restaurant and did the lunch buffet there. And I really enjoyed it. It was it was, you know, the, the food tasted did delicious. You, did you get some tikka masala? Oh, I totally, totally did. Did you, did you get just some garlic naan? Garlic naan. Uh, or a just a normal naan. I mean, I had naan of some sort. Mm. Um, tandoori chicken, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, rice. Um, those. I think those like what are they like those vegetable fritters they fry or the, something. Uh, Pakaros. Pak Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then like I had at least three bowls of that. Um. What was it was it like a tapioca pudding sort of uh, thing? Yeah, it's a rice pudding. It's called cure. the rice pudding. Yes, yeah. I had at least three bowls of that. <laughs> excuse uh, me. I excuse thee. <laughs> uh, then you know, and it was interesting where you go to pay. Instead of having like the standard counter near mm-hmm. the entrance, there's like this enclosed space in the middle of the restaurant. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's very decorative. And this was actually my first experience paying for something using the uh, the chip in a credit card. Like like like. Whoa. I I'd received I had yeah I know I I'd received this new credit card and it had the chip in there. I was like that's strange. And this was the first time when I I tried to swipe it in, in my life, and the person's like no no no, push it in right there. I'm like what? And it, it took me like two minutes to figure out what she was trying to talk, what she was talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, this was um, uh, it was a India Palace was a delicious lunchtime uh, eating experience. I highly recommend that if you're in Medford and you're looking for lunch and you've already gone to Luigi's uh, Italian sandwiches. Check out India Palace. If you go to India Palace, though, please mention that you're going there because of the podcast. Um, try to get the staff and or owners to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I give the the second Medford racketeering story a... You know, it didn't have the novelty of all the sports memorabilia. But just watching the spinelessness of Eugene, uh, Eugene, and, and the the dy- dynamics between him and Stephen and the others, I'll give it four four stacks. Excellent. I think I'm going to give it three. 
I'm gonna give it a three. Yeah, it it just didn't it didn't grab me the way that the last Medford racketeering story did two episodes ago. This was another episode where we only had three segments, unless you count the BS non-segment that happens afterwards. Yeah, in the last three minutes of the show, they cram in a uh, plea for help from the Philadelphia PD. Yeah, I don't even want to. I don't even really want to acknowledge. The, I mean, thankfully, the 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 mystery got solved. We got an yeah. update on it. So I don't. I don't know. Like I said, I left the room. I had things to do, yeah. and it yeah. sounded like it wasn't going to be a real segment. So yeah, yeah. No, it was strange. I mean, this is a, a situation where we actually have Robert Stack interviewing uh, a, a member of the Philadelphia uh, mm-hmm. PD. And it was just, it was so disorienting. Um, it kind of reminded me, another disorienting moment I had was like, when they flashed that solved um, uh, special effect, do they usually just do that against a black background, right? Um, I think so. That sounds well, right. Er- earlier in this episode, they u- they they used that thing but they they instead of having it come out of a black background mm-hmm. you know say it's solved it comes out of the unsolved mysteries uh logo and it was so i don't know it, it was so unexpected and, and not what i was accustomed to it just seems strange it just it just feels like i know i've aired my grievances before about how it feels like there's no continuity going on like with the format of the show mm-hmm. sometimes it's four segments sometimes it's three uh sometimes robert stack you know describes all the segments at the beginning of the show sometimes he doesn't uh now like the the swipes and stuff aren't aren't, aren't even having consistency and now they're throwing in the in this this bs three minute interview thing uh um well, I'm I'm curious to see if they even it out in the later seasons, but I think for now it's just keeping us on our toes, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I I don't like I'm kind of I didn't even mean mean to spend this much time talking about this because it was such a BS thing, but I did want to bring it up because it gives a good lead in to um, for several episodes now we've seen Robert Stack wandering around what is allegedly you know trying trying to make itself seem like a police station yes because that they'll have people in police officer uniforms kind of walking around Mm -hmm. um but really i i'm so skeptical that this is a police station i mean and particularly you see right here where he's doing the interview that you know they've tried to make it look like a police station but really crystal all they've done is like the same sort of um work that you or i could do if we had access to a a map of the world and a printer to print out some fake wanted stuff because that's just what's like tacked up on the walls all around them you know i'm thinking it's probably like a a set from like one of those cop shows like law and order maybe like tj hooker or whatever was on at the same time you know it was chips on uh, Chip, well, uh, Chips may have uh, gone off the air just a few years previously. I don't. To me, it feels the 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 set actually feels very nineteen forties forties ish because it's got those stairs and just the look of it. Like I was thinking Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like where um, the detective has his office. Like, like, yeah, either, like, where the detective has his office, or if he ever, like... Because he goes to, like, a couple of city-related, you know, town hall or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could have been that. Um, you know, one, one or the other... Yeah, it, it, this, this... You know, I guess... You know... I guess I'm just glad it's not the Queen Mary, but... <laughs> Yeah, they use that background to death. But yeah, I feel like they're using this one a lot. Yeah. Too. And I f- I feel like yeah, we're not getting we're not getting as much diversity as we might want. Like in the first I think in the first episode we reviewed, we got a lot. He was like he was out in front of a farm, he was on a road, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um well, You got to you got to let your stack uh, out and air it out from time to time or your stack gets stale. 
Yeah. So I give this bullshit interview non-segment a negative stack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, but that's not even a real rating because it doesn't deserve ratings because it's not a real segment. I'm just expressing how pissed off I am. You're having a little a little tantrum over there, aren't you? I, I am. I am. Um, I, I got so upset by it, I left. <laughs> right. I was so antagonized by the concept alone that I went in the other room. Um, so, well, should we, uh, unless we have anything else to say on Medford Oregon restaurants or... No, no, I, I think I've pretty much expended my, what I've had to say about, and until we get our, at least our third Medford racketeering story. Jeez, <laughs> God. Well, then I'm going to be... start to get suspicious that there's some kickbacks going on between Unsolved Mysteries and <laughs> Detective Sweeney and Medford, Oregon. Right, right. That they, uh, that he's got, he's got one of the producers on speed dial. Right, some kind right. of trade-off situation going. All those other police detectives trying to get unsolved mysteries to come to their town to film a bullshit segment about, you know, something. And Sweeney, meanwhile, like you say, he's got the freaking speakerphone. Um, if you want to get a direct contact with Crystal or myself, not necessarily a speakerphone, you can send us twits, tweets, twitters. You can also send us twits, twits, and tweets. Um, we're at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. Um, our email address is reenactedpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play. We'd love it if you left us a review, even if it was only like two stars, just to say that someone cared enough to review us. So, yes, come come on, haters, let us let us have it. Uh, other than that, Robbie, you want to lead us out? For every mystery. There is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. <laughs> <laughs>